0: A smart person learns from their mistakes. A wise person learns from others' mistakes. Welcome to the My Mistakes Podcast. We cover the lessons learned from the mistakes we've made in business, so you won't do the same. I'm Chris Cianciulli. In this episode, we welcome Dave Palumbo. He was one of the biggest bodybuilders competing in the 1990s. After retiring, Dave would become so much bigger not his body, but the mark he would have on the bodybuilding industry. Find out what's made him so successful at owning a supplement company, running a media empire, and working with thousands of clients over the years. This episode is being brought to you by Don Pablo Coffee, specialty grade beans roasted in small batches. It's a better cup of coffee. Get yours at Amazon or at DonPabloCoffee.com. So today with me, I have a guest that I go way, 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 way back with. And I was trying to think of my earliest memory of our guest. And when I was 17 years old, I was at a bodybuilding show in Boston, Massachusetts. And I remember seeing someone sitting at a chair signing autographs with hamstring muscles that were dropping down so low that I didn't think they could actually be real. And as I got closer, I saw they were. And a year later, when I moved to New York, I was at a gym, and I saw that same gentleman behind the counter make himself a shake, and I walked over again in disbelief and introduced myself. Well, that man is here today, and that man is Dave Palumbo. Dave, hello, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, I feel old now because uh, you're you're a grown man. You were a kid <laughs> when I first met <laughs> I had read all the bodybuilding magazines. I was watching Sean Ray and Boyer Co. in the morning before school, before I'd go to the gym. I had never stood next to or seen a bodybuilder. So there were two guys I saw that show, you and the legendary Dorian Yates. Oh, and Jay Cutler was there as well. I met him for the first time. But I can say it didn't look like you were a human being. And that's right when I started understanding the term freak. Was that 96? Yep, 96 that was an
1: interesting show because i had guest posed at the pittsburgh pro show on the the day before on saturday and they used to always have that the new england championships on sunday right and so they flew me from pittsburgh to jimmy dakotas who i actually wound up becoming friends with later but they flew me to to boston and i and jimmy owned this line of hotels they were like little motels and i said i got to sleep because it was like really early in the morning and i hadn't slept so they I slept the whole day, basically. And then his, his girlfriend at the time picked me up for the night show, and I went there. And I was dieting for the nationals; I was six weeks out, so I looked really good. Dorian was kind of off season, I remember, and I had guest posed. I think it was like two ninety or something like that. Still, or two like some ridiculous you know number. I was. I was really. I was big, you know, and hard, and I guest posed. And I think people went. They went crazy, you know, and so it was. It was really cool. To experience that, but I they had an article in the newspaper. Like someone sent me a clipping, the newspaper clipping, like it was like the next like three days later or something like that. And they basically were talking about the show, but they were talking about me being like bringing the house down, like or something like that. And Dorian was like this little inset picture; and it was a huge picture of me. To me, that was like the greatest act. That was the greatest like accomplishment I've ever had. That
0: that I was the star, and Dorian was like the the, the footnote. I <laughs> <of the show. laughs> uh, bet he loved that. What's your background where are you from tell us a little bit about the upbringings of where how who family all that i grew up in long island you know middle class dad was a teacher mom
1: was stayed home then became you know she was a legal secretary you know once we got a little older we weren't poor we weren't rich i thought you know everything was you know hunky-dory i was into sports soccer played, you know, pretty much everything that was going on in the neighborhood, you know, pick up football and stuff and going into, I would say right when I, right before I graduated junior high school, my mom got cancer, pancreatic cancer. I was 14 years old and she passed after like a really terrible two years. Like, you know, every horrible thing you could imagine, you know, like a person having cancer going through so that was like a traumatic thing for me, you know, but I, it was like one of these things, like I'm like a, like a guy who like buries emotions. So like, I didn't really, I didn't let it affect me or at least I didn't think it affected me, you know? And so I, I went off my life and, you know, became and it made me very independent, you know, because I felt like, you know, I couldn't depend on anyone, even though my dad was a great dad. And he was, you know, always there to bail me out of anything, but you know, I just became this like super, like, I'm going to like, you know, really, you know, and so I started focusing more on individual sports. I started running, I was into running anyway, but I got into, I, I stopped playing soccer. I did cross country running. I really focused more on being like, you know, working on myself. And then I got into weightlifting a little bit in high school, not much because when I went to college, which I went to like a small liberal arts college called Franklin and Marshall college in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It was like a pre-med factory and, and, and pre-law factory. So I was pre-med there. I got like a partial scholarship for running and I just kind of immersed myself in like, you know, obsessively, you know, becoming a, a long distance runner. I don't know why I was I was just consumed with, you know, challenging my body because I was the kind of guy like when I was younger that I was lazy. I, everything came really easy to me. And I just, I coasted, I kind of just did the bare minimum. I did well in school and I did well in sports and I applied myself when I was there, but I didn't, I wasn't a guy who went home and practiced, you know, like, like ridiculous amounts of, like I did for bodybuilding. I didn't, I didn't become consumed with with it because it just came easy for me. You know, I think most people do that. That's just a natural inclination. Very few people are naturally driven, especially when they're kids. So when I got a little older and I started realizing, Hey, you know, this is not so easy anymore. There's other people out there that are better than me at things. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the best runner you know, I I did the best I could, I guess in division three, I was, you know, excellent, you know, and I did well. And I wound up getting into medical school. I went to medical school, I was going to be a doctor. And I I realized when I got to medical school after two years, after consuming all the information that they taught me, I I realized that I hated it. (laughs) I realized I hated treating just sickness and, and no one really cared about what caused the sickness. And you know, I wanted to know, you know, I wanted to know how to keep people healthy because, Hey, you know what? I lost my mom. You know, I was, I didn't want to die of cancer. You know, that was like a fear that I had. I think when I was younger, I'm not, I'm not dying. I'm not going to do anything that, that stresses me out that, that I don't want to do. And that was something that I really, I guess I had a very strong conviction about that. I was going to do what I wanted to do and that I got pleasure from, because I don't know if I'm going to be here tomorrow and that kind of thing. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to do stupid things, but I'm going to do the things that I enjoy. and so. You know, I became in love with bodybuilding at some point, probably the last year of my college after running was kind of over and I wanted to put muscle on it. I went the opposite direction, trying to be the fastest guy, you know, and the leanest, smallest guy, you know, to the, to the biggest, freakiest guy, you know, and, and that I got consumed with that. And I got consumed with health and, and, and supplements and, and, how to, you know, eat right. And cause they don't teach you this stuff in school. You know, I, I was learning on the go, reading muscle and fitness and reading every book, you know, that I can, plus I'm in school, I'm in medical school and I'm learning how the body works. And so it was, it was like almost everything was feeding that same, that same end goal, which was how can I achieve the greatest, you know, physique that I could possibly achieve. And what is all the little nuances science wise that a lot of people just neglected. You know, protein and fats and carbs and biochemistry and minerals and vitamins and how all these chemical reactions run and how to optimize your hormonal balances in your body and all all these things that that, that I felt like I had an advantage over because people didn't know this stuff. You know, I was consumed by it, and I wound up dropping out of medical school in my third year because I just became disillusioned with it. And I was I I loved bodybuilding, and I felt like that was my calling, and I don't know how I was going to make it work. I took a year off from school to see what happened, and Look, I got lucky. I, I don't know. I created my own luck, I guess. I started making money in the sport. I found some, a vehicle to be able to justify not going back because I, w- I was making money
0: even and doing what I loved. And, and that, that was, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Well, I'm curious about your own curiosity. As a child, what was your first job? I worked in Baskin-Robin for one day. <laughs> I, I was a movie usher
1: for about four weeks or six weeks over the summer. I, I got fired right, but like with two weeks to go in the summer because I let someone in the back, a friend of mine in the back door, and they caught me. And <laughs> they fired me. it was the year that I, and it's funny, it was the year that the Rodney Dangerfield movie, uh, Back to School, was out and The Karate Kid 2. And I still remember all the movies, <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China and Top Gun. Oops, well, I guess it was 86. Because I think it was between college, I'm right before I went to college, because I saw the movie so many times as the as an usher that I couldn't forget him. But that was my one job, and then my other job was the year after the summer after I worked in a pet land, cleaning fish tanks and becoming uh, and and, and hamsters and uh, reptiles and snakes. That's how I got introduced to reptiles. Actually, I worked with this guy in, in this pet store, and I don't know. He wasn't really a school guy. He was like you know more like a heavy metal guy, and he taught me snakes and. He knew snakes. I knew hamsters and fish. I was into acquiring fish and stuff like that at the time. And when I went away to when I went to college, I brought a Burmese python baby with me that I had bought from the store, and that that was my first snake. <laughs> Turns out, this guy who I worked with, I had to, I, I kind of got out of the whole reptile thing. You know, I went to med school. I became a bodybuilder. I really wasn't involved with with, with any reptiles. Thirty years later, I get back into reptiles and. I'm reading this book this guy wrote this book the complete boa constrictor it's like it's on amazon bestseller you know it's, it's like the the premier book about boa constrictors this guy vin russo i saw that he had a facility in long island so when i got it snakes, i wonder I figured, well, this is the boa guy. So everyone's like, you got to go to him to buy some boas if you're going to if you're gonna get into this. So I'm like, well, I want to get some boas. So I contacted him and he was like, you know, kind of a little standoffish with me. And I he said, you know, I'm going to be at this reptile show in White Plains. If you want to come on Saturday, you can talk to me. I said, all right. All right. So I'm, I'm walking down the aisle and I'm looking. F- and, and he was kind of like, I was kind of like a little turned off by the whole conversation because he was a little rude, but whatever. So I'm walking down the aisle and... I think it was like the last booth I had gone to. And this guy yells out, Hey, Hey, you. I said, yeah. He's like, I know you. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm a bodybuilder, right? I'm, you know, everyone knows me. Of course. I said, well, you work out. He's like, no. And then I look at his, his table and I see the name of the, the company. It's called the cutting edge Herp. And that's, an, that was the guy I was, I'd been emailing back and forth. The guy wrote the book. He's like, I know you. I said, how do you know me? He's like, we worked at Petland Discounts together 30 years ago, <laughs> 1986. <laughs> the guy I worked with became the number one like boa constrictor breeder in the world, and he's like wrote a book. You know, the guy didn't even go to college, and he's like, yeah, you know, I became friend, and we became, and we were friends. I had gone to his house a couple times, you know, even because he got me into snakes. Yeah, I was really like, I kind of liked the guy, but then I went away to college, and I just lost touch with him, and never really, you know, that was it. So
0: we reconnected and we're still, you know, we're friends now. It's kind of funny how things go full circle, you know. How many years were you competing? And then at what point did you turn pro? Did you not turn pro? If you can let people know what that process was and what occurred. I thought when I got into bodybuilding that the secret
1: or the key, first of all, but everyone, everyone who starts bodybuilding, and you could attest to this because you were in the sport, everyone thinks they're going to be Mr. Olympia. Okay. In the back of your mind, you may never admit it to anyone. You might not say it out loud, but you, in your head, you're like, I'm going to, I can, I can do this. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to be the best I can be. I'm going to beat everyone. That's why you compete. That's why you train. You don't train to lose. Okay. That's, that's a loser mindset. You know, I was going at it to be the best. Now when I first started out, I looked, I, I I couldn't even imagine how I was going to get there, but I just knew I loved what I was doing. I said, "If I keep adding muscle, you know, I'm adding 20 pounds of muscle a year. If I keep doing this, I'm going to be one of the biggest guys." You know, it was not—it was almost naive of me to think that way, but I, but I was—I believed it so much that you know, when you believe something, you can make it happen. So I, every year, I gained uh, 20 pounds of muscle a year for five years. I gained 100 pounds of muscle, and I was one of the biggest guys. Now, I didn't maybe structurally have the best. Genetic structure because bodybuilding is about science. So if you know how to eat properly and train, and you don't have injuries, and you and you have pretty decent genetics, you know, in terms of being able to, your body responds to 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 doing stuff. And I was athletic anyway, you know what I mean. So it wasn't like I was like some nerd that was trying to like you know be a bodybuilder. You know, I had I had an athletic base, so I packed on a lot of muscle, and I had a very very good metabolism, probably from all the years of running. So I was very lean. So I had this like advantage over people because I was. I was one of the biggest guys, probably the biggest guy, amateur guy at the time. I was like lean, you know, at that body weight in the off season. You know, I was one of the first amateur guys probably to go over three hundred pounds, and I don't even know how I did it, to be honest with you, because it was just it was just like this relentless application of like you know, train, eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep, train, eat, sleep you know, right nutrition, all that stuff, not leaving any stone unturned, never missing a workout, never missing a meal, never, you know, there was, there was no deviations possible. There wasn't going, I didn't drink, I didn't go out. I, I, I you know, I stayed home, watched movies, you know, and, you know, I went to restaurants. That was my, that was my excitement. So I'm doing this and I'm thinking, all right, I got to turn, I got to win the amateur, you know, Title of you know national champion or, or USA champion—that's going to give me professional status because I got to compete with the pros, right? Because I got to win the Mister Olympia. That's how I'm going to make money. And, and because the goal for me, always going into bodybuilding, was—and this is a good apple fun, we have some application to your radio show here—is make money. I want to—I want to make a living from this. I want to be able to not have to work a real job. Going back to the whole, I never worked a real job. I don't want to work a real job. I want to be—I want to make money from working out. Cause I love it. I love bodybuilding. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I, I want to make, I want bodybuilding to pay my bills. And it was, and it was, I was doing guest posings and I was doing seminars and I was writing for the magazines. Cause no one, you know, very few, you know, bodybuilders can write, you know, I had a, my my father was an author. And he was an English teacher, so I was a very good writer. Just probably inherited that from him, and got a lot of you know tutoring along the way. So I was able to write, and I can write scientifically. My father wasn't really a science guy; he was more of a literature guy. But I had his talent to write with the science background. So I had like a, a niche carved out for myself. So you know, here I am. I'm banging my head against the wall trying to turn pro, and I you know I'm placed in top five, but then I'm then I'm, some shows I'm not, and then I'm finding out there's politics involved, and then. I placed as high as second, you know, at the USA Championships and the Nationals. And then I I just, you know, somebody said to me, you know, I'm I'm never, and I had injuries. Now now I'm getting to, you know, 13 years into my career. I'm like, still in my early thirties, but I'm like, you know what? I have really bad shoulders, arthritis and stuff like that. I'm like, can't train the way I need to anymore. I can't really pose my body. I feel like I can't make improvements beyond what I am at this point. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need to be a pro. I'm the most popular amateur in the country right now. I'm doing guest posings every week and I'm making money. Hey, my goal, my, my mindset was, Hey, I want to make a living from the sport, a good living. Cause I never wanted to have money problems. You know, that was something that was not, I didn't want to, you know, deal with that. And I said, I'm doing it. I'm actually doing what I wanted. I actually achieved what I wanted to achieve. <laughs> I said, so I don't need to turn pro and because if I if I keep pushing it the way I was pushing, I could I could damage my health, you know, long term. And then who cares how much money you got, you know? Or who cares what titles you have at this point? I realized I wasn't going to be Mr. Olympia at this point. I said, so I'm, I'm I'm very popular in the sport. I'm in popular in all the magazines. Everyone knows who I am. Let me let me take advantage of this. And I always wanted to start my own nutrition company because I even in '96, when you met me, I was representing a company called Huge Nutrition. And when they hired me, they really didn't know much about supplements. And so they had this line of products they had kind of preliminarily developed. And I said, this sucks. No one's going to buy these. You're calling it huge nutrition. You got me on the on the, on the the labels. He's like, well, what should we put in this? I actually designed the whole line of supplements at the time. And so that was my first foray. And I loved it. I'm like, oh, especially because I was spending their money. But I developed all these supplements. And I'm like, that were cutting edge for 96, you know. And I, 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 you know, because at the time, the big thing was meal replacement shakes. So the meal replacement metrics was like the number one you know, product. It was a meal replacement shake, it was protein, fat, and carbs in it, and a shake. It tasted good, it was high quality ingredients. I wanted to make something, you know, that was even better than that. And so we formulated, and creatine was a big supplement at the time. So we put creatine actually into the meal replacement shake. And I must have tried 400 different iterations of this formula before it finally tasted good. And I think we put actually we put glutamine. It was like every every like performance supplement of the time was in the shake. You didn't need to use anything. You just used used the shake and you got, you know, your creatine, you got, you got everything, protein, fat, carbs. So it was a great shake. It was called Huge RX. It was like a knockoff of Metrix, really. But it was it was delicious. It was a huge packet too. It was a lot of powder in the packet, and people loved it. You know, it was unfortunately the guy who who ran the company, who owned the company, was mismanaging it and kind of like wasting money and stuff like that. So it only lasted about a year and a half. But they paid me. They paid me well, and actually, right from that company, I got offered a job with Metrix, which was another company that I. I you know, the owner of Metrics, Dr. Scott Conley, he was like, he was like my hero. I mean, the guy was a genius, you know, he was a doctor. He, you know, developed Metrics. you know, he, he, I mean, the guy was he went to Harvard, you know, Stanford. So I just related to him. I saw him in a seminar. We talked, we hit it off. He heard I went to medical school and he's like, Hey, you know, when you're in the in the market, he goes, I'd love to hire you. You know, I'd love to have you work with me. And so that was like a dream come true. So when I started working for him, we just hit it off. I mean, it was like, this was like a match made in heaven. It was like, I was meant to be there. And you know what? I was oogling that company from the minute it started saying, that's the company I want to be involved with. And I said it over and over a thousand times in my head, it happened. So I made it happen. So that was, you know, that was a, it was a monumental, changed my life type of thing because I realized that, hey, if I can get involved in supplements, I can change people's lives by keeping them healthier. So my whole trepidation with becoming a doctor was, was not in vain. It was like, this is what I was meant to do. Take this education and create products that are going to make people healthy. And so when I stopped competing in 04, a year or two later, I started Species Nutrition, which was, I could have gone and worked with other people. You know, Other people offered me jobs. A lot of companies, supplement companies came to me and said, hey, we're, we're willing to pay you. We know you're going to sell supplements for us. And they wanted me to formulate. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do this for myself. I'm at a point in my life, I'm 35 years old. I got I to gotta make a move. So I, I started Species and, and, you know, I made supplements.
0: When I met you again in the teenage years, when I found out that you weren't a pro, that shocked me because I didn't quite understand the NPC and the different organizations and what led to what. So I see a 317-pound guy and I think, this guy's a pro. When you said you weren't a pro, I said, you're not a pro. And your response was, and I remember it verbatim. You said, I make more money than most pros, so who's really the pro? And that stood out to me so much because right from that, and I mean, I'm a young, impressionable, 17, 18-year-old kid at the time. And I started piecing together what you were saying. If you weren't a pro, here I'd seen you at shows, I saw you signing autographs, I see you as the face of a company, like how are you able to do both? But with what you were hoping to do in bodybuilding, When you retired, would you classify yourself as being disappointed or fed up with it? Like, what was that emotion there? No, because you know what? I'm the kind of person, my wife hates this. She thinks like I'm a a quitter. Like she's like, you just, you just move on.
1: You like, you do something a hundred percent. Like you can't, you're obsessed with it. And then you just like, all right, I'm done. And you quit. I'm like, no, you're not, you don't understand. It's not quitting. She didn't, she doesn't get it. It's not quitting because what happens is I do it to the fullest. And then when the creative process is, is done in my head, I have to create something new. So I'm not, I'm not abandoning it. I'm not quitting. In other words, you have to, you have something inside you that, that, a gauge that tells you what's right and what's wrong. It's called, some people call it intuition. You know, there's different, different names for it. And I think a lot of people are afraid to follow that because they think that they have to do what society tells them they have to do, or their parents told them they have to do, or. You know what they're pigeonholed into do, so they wind up doing jobs that they hate their whole life, and they regret it until they maybe they can retire twenty years after they put in you know twenty years of, of hard labor. Might as well, I, that, I might as well be in jail at that point. I'd probably be less stressful. But I always am the kind of person that when I'm done with something, I know it. So I knew bodybuilding in my the passion that I had for the crazy obsessive compulsive. All I could think about is bodybuilding. That that was 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 ending. I could tell. Because I, I finished, I completed whatever the task was. And I don't know, you know, we all have our own you know definition of completing. Some people don't know when to stop. And then they wind up you know dying because of that. You know, they do stupid stuff. But I knew I was done. I knew I couldn't be better. And I always told people, first of all, I said two things when I started bodybuilding. If I'm still bodybuilding when I'm 40, shoot me, I said, because I knew that that would not be good. The second thing I said was to myself, if I can't be better than I was the year before, then I got to stop because now I'm wasting my time. So I knew I couldn't be any better. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do something different now. I'm not leaving bodybuilding. I still love bodybuilding. But if I can't be on stage, I don't want to lose to guys that I beat last year. I don't want these upcoming guys that I should be destroying beating me because I am I have injuries and I'm limited. If I didn't have injuries, maybe I want to stop. So maybe the injuries actually were a good thing for me. You know, I always believe everything happens the way it's supposed to because... If I didn't have bad shoulders, I probably would have kept pushing it, even though I probably wouldn't have been that much better. And I probably would have endangered my health and I wouldn't have been able to go to the next stage. So when I stop something, that's it. I'm done. I don't like go back to it or anything like that. I'm like, okay, I'm done. Now what do I have to do? So I started going to, I started, I was coaching a lot of people at the time. And I started going to, I went to all the shows and I was taking pictures and I was putting them on my website and people we're going to my website. Like everyone was going to Dave Palumbo.com, which was, and then checking out the pictures because I was at every show. You know, there was no contest coverage. There was no nothing. No one had websites with media webs. There was nothing. There wasn't, I was, there was Dave Palumbo.com, and I would take paparazzi pictures and some stage pictures, put them up. So the pe- people wanted to see what was going on at the junior USA. They just got to Dave Palumbo site and check it out. So, you know, Steve Blackman at Muscle Development had seen, alone Muscular Muscle Development Magazine at the time. He saw what I was doing and he's like, called me up and he said, you know, I want to want to come have dinner with me. I want to, I have a proposal. And so he knew, he goes, are you done competing? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm done. I, I, there's no, I have nothing to prove. And he had shot me already for the magazine, you know, while I was competing. Yeah, you know, I did some great photo shoots in that magazine. He's like, you know, you want to come work for Muscle Development Magazine? I said, well, you know, I already have a column in here, Steve. He's like, no, full time. I said, you're the editor, of the of the magazine. He's like, no, 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 no. I want to start a website, like what you're doing with your website. I said, okay. He goes, I'll give you full creative, you know, control of it, and I want to make it, you know, the biggest thing because I, you know, I see all the, you know, the attention you're getting on your website and everything like that. I said, all right, I could do it from my side. I can do it on his. He's, he's got a bigger budget, right? And, and he pay going to pay me a lot of money. Yeah, he offered me a lot of money. You know, it was, and here I was, you know, I was like, you know wasn't doing anything and all of a sudden some guys drop in, you know a nice chunk of change in my lap and to do what i love and but he knew my work ethic was just like insane like in other words he didn't have to worry about me working enough hours you know i, I was going to overwork <laughs> because i like what i'm doing i went to every show every weekend i was traveling covering the shows for them and i became like the face of muscular development i started my own podcast you know it was called noble radio with john romano which everyone knows and that went on to when i when we left you know that. We turned it into heavy muscle radio, but it was like effortless. It was like, okay, you know, because people are asking me, are you worried? You're not competing? You know, how are you going to make money? And I'm like, no, something will come along. I, I was always like that. I was always like, you know, I didn't panic about money. I'm like, I know the opportunity will present itself. I, At some point, I don't know. I don't know if you're at that point. You probably are. I think just from talking to you. At some point, you lose that like nervous anxiety about, hey, am I going to be able to to do well or make money or like, I have no, I have no like qualms about the fact that if I put a hundred percent effort into something that I'm going to be successful at, because I don't believe in failing, you know? And I think that if you really focus your, your efforts and your mindset on everything, you can't fail, you know? And if you, the only people who fail, people quit, just don't quit you want to succeed, don't quit. But also don't do things that you don't really enjoy because if you're not really, and I hate the use this works, it's so overused. If you're not
0: passionate about what you're doing, you're not going to be successful. I was just doing a uh, talk or a lecture this week over Zoom and I was explaining to someone, the biggest mistake people make is by pursuing their passions. What you need to pursue is your talents because your talent will pull you forward to where you don't have to work. It becomes almost effortless because you have this God-given talent that makes you better than others at it. So it's just nurturing that skill, you could be incredibly passionate about something but not be very good at it. I don't know. I think that people are passionate about what they, what they, what they are good at. Don't you think? I mean, I don't know. Like American Idol, look at people that would go up round one. They were very passionate about singing. Well, that was a delusional people. Well, yeah, but but
1: (laughs) I could be, I could be into singing, but I would never, yeah, I would never say to myself, well, I'm going to try to be a professional singer because I just know that I don't have the talent to do that. You're
0: right. When you look at the numbers of how many businesses fail, I don't think it's because it's a bad business. They're bad business people because they might be passionate about the restaurant industry, but they don't have a talent for understanding how to run a PL and and look at a business as a whole. Don't you think you can learn that? If you, really, if you love restaurants, don't you think you can learn how to run a restaurant? Or you could hire someone. But you know, what? I use the analogy. It's like, Why do people with really bad breath not know they have bad breath when their nose is just above their mouth? So like people could be in business and not even realize that they suck at running a business because they're so into it that they think that it's just that hard. And what I've found at anything that I've excelled at, it hasn't been that hard. Like there's challenges, but you look forward to doing it. I'm the worst businessman. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, I'm going to
1: be honest. I am the worst businessman because you know why? I only do what I like and I'm passionate about it. Like you said, I'm a terrible businessman because, but I'm good at sales. I'll tell you why, because I'm so passionate about what I do. And I'm such a good educator that I can get people to buy stuff because I tell them the truth because I'm about the truth. So if I love, supp- if I love a certain, if I developed a certain nutritional supplement, okay, like my fiber product, everyone said, don't make a fight. No one wants fiber. You're making a fiber supplement. No one's going to buy a fiber supplement. I'm like, but they need it. It works. It, you need it, there's so many health benefits of a, of a fiber supplement, and, the, and so many people don't are constipated and they get colon can't. I'm telling you, and you know, I went and I just talked about it and talked about it and talked about it, and it, I can't. I I sell so much fiberized, uh, you know, from species nutrition. It's unbelievable. But I'll tell you one thing: if it wasn't for my wife, I got to give her credit. She runs the business. I don't run the business because I'm a, I'm a bad decision maker because. I love I think everyone is good and I think that the, everyone has got good intentions and and I want to give everyone a chance because I believe in, in you know giving people chance she's a, a numbers person she's a cut and dry person she knows when to say no to people and when to say yes and so we are a good team in that sense because she runs the business I sell the products I formulate the products you know I'm the front man she's behind the scenes but if I didn't have her
0: I'd probably be out of business to be honest with you Do you know what I think makes you a brilliant business person? I'll give you a hint. The person that you met when you were working your first job at the pet store. Second one, the Dave Plumbo website with the pictures. And the third example was working for Huge Nutrition. Can you figure out why you're a brilliant business person? you learned on someone else's dime every single time. So you use their money. And Steve Blackman, I learned a lot from too. Believe me, I learned a lot about everything from their him. So I get while him getting paid. You <laughs> got paid credit. while you learned. So you worked out all the kinks so that when it was your turn, you could go full throttle. And I mean, you hit the ground running. So day one with RX muscle, like out of the gate, you were going to succeed. But that also goes to how much
1: you're willing to immerse yourself in what you want too. So you're right. There's a lot of people that are just tutti frutti. I love. Oh, I love baseball. I want to sell them baseball memorabilia. Well, if you don't know everything <laughs> about baseball memorabilia, like better than like the, than the books that are out there that are written, to them, then don't you better not sell them the baseball memorabilia because you're going to get your ha- ass
0: handed to you, you know, by someone who does know a lot more than you as far as giving information, or being someone who gets the truth out there, I was enamored by you as, again, in my late teens, watching how many people would flock to you, to where they would come to you with a question and ask you something, you'd give an answer, and I was one of them, but I witnessed so many. And I was, if you remember way back when, to 1998, I was in my freshman year of college, and I was a theater major, And I had an elbow injury that my doctor... Now, this is ironic because you know Chris Tuttle from Professional Bodybuilding. His sister was my girlfriend at the time who you met for five years. And her father or his father diagnosed my elbows being calcium deposits. So I told you that and you said, I've got this doctor, Gerland Castro. Go see him. He does this technique called active release. So he treated me one time and I got down and did a couple push-ups and it didn't bother me. So I was so moved by this that I didn't sleep that night. The next day I went to the phys ed department and went and spoke to someone in the exercise physiology about dropping my major in theater. And after that experience, I switched my entire major and then three years I completed an exercise physiology program because it was changing a life that quickly but I somehow was just drawn to the fact that so many people put so much trust and stock in what you said that I said, I want to be a source of information for people to where they come to me and they trust. So again, that's something that I watched you do. And I'm segueing into the question of what was your original plan with RX Muscle? What did you envision it as? Because when I look today, did you envision it being what it is now or did this just kind of evolve over time?
1: I was working for Muscular Development. Okay, we were killing it, but I said I saw I saw the writing on the wall once again. I, I'm I'm good at when I'm immersed in something at seeing what's going. on. I said, "Look, you know what? This is great. We got a radio show, you know, which was hard to do at the time. It was not an easy thing. You had to call in to the to these things. It was expensive. The technology today, you can do it on your cell on your iPhone. <laughs> you know, they didn't have that. I said, "What I want to do," and I told. Steve, like this, I said, I want to create original TV program. I loved when I watched American Muscle magazine on ESPN and the the workout shows, like you mentioned earlier with Boyer Co and and Sean Ray. I said the Flex magazine show. I said bodybuilding's never going to be on TV. I said the internet is going to be the new TV. I saw this back in in 08. Okay, I, I I don't know how I, I just envisioned. I said we're going to be watching the internet. Okay, like we watch TV, and I said this is the, gives us an, an advantage because anyone can have their own studio. You don't have to worry about ESPN and CBS and all these networks wanting to carry a bodybuilding show. We can make our own shows. I want to have debate shows, and I want to have contest coverage shows and analysis shows, like like ESPN does. You know, every you know, when they have you know when you, they they wrap up shows and stuff like that. I want to want to do all this on. I said, let's build a studio. I told them we'll build a TV studio. He's like, ah, what's the, what's the, what's the, uh, the, the ROI There's no Robert. I said, forget the, art. there's no business model now because no one does it. I said, we're going to create the business model. We're going to create a TV show. Okay. We're going to put it on the website because it wasn't, no one was hosting anything on YouTube yet because they weren't monetizing. So we have videos already on it. We'll put it up as like a, 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 a separate video. We're going to do a TV show. I said, if we have to fly a guest, then we'll fly Branch Warren in for the weekend. We'll fly. He had every major bodybuilder on the contract. I said, we can. We got unlimited talent here. I said, plus you got me here. You bring John Romano in once a week. You fly him in from Florida. He'll be fine. I said, we'll get a sponsor. I said to pay for it. I said it'll pay for itself down the road. I promise you. I said we'll build a nice little studio. Yeah, yeah. You couldn't see it. So we were always fighting back and forth with this and. Then we were battling with other stuff. And I think he got a little jealous of the fact that I was like, kind of became the face of muscular development too much. So it just didn't work out. He went up firing John and I. And I can go with, that's another whole show. But he actually did me a favor because when he did that, I said, John, I for two hours or six hours after we got fired, I didn't know what I was going to do. By the seventh hour, I had come up with the name Heavy Muscle Radio. I said, we're going to start a radio show, Heavy Muscle Radio. He said, great where are we going to put the radio show? I said, I had, start, I had had a magazine, RX Muscle uh, that was I was running. It was like kind of like a hardcore magazine. I only had about six issues. This is before Steve, once Steve hired me, he said, you can't do the magazine because it's going to be in conflict with mine. I said, fine. I was it, was it was costing me a fortune. It was too difficult to do anyway. But I said, you know what, John? No one cares about magazines anymore. These magazines will be dead in five years. I said, we're going to start RxMuscle.com. I already have the URL. And we're going to do a radio show. And I'm going to call the Arnold... Classic people up. Cause the Arnold was in like three weeks. I said, we're going to get press passes. We're going to go cover the show. And I moved him. I actually got John to move to New York, believe it or not for, for six months or so. I didn't, I thought it was gonna be longer, but it was, and he built a studio. John is very handy. I said, this is, this is how I want it to be laid out. And we both sat down and we laid out the studio. Cause I had my species nutrition warehouse and we had an extra room in there. And I said, we're going to build a studio in this thing. And we're going to make our own TV show. I don't know how we're going to do it. I found, ran into some guys. They did TV programs. They, they, I got them in there. They, they designed the lighting for me so that everything was lit properly. I bought some, some, some TV cameras, you know, some video handicams, Sony handycams. But when you have good lighting, Sony handicams are fine. And I don't even know how we did it. We, we did a TV show. And it was such a horror show to edit. It because it took so long. So we didn't really have a TV mixing box. There was, the technology wasn't there. But people loved it. It was great. And anyone who was in New York would come into the studio, and they'd sit in, and they'd they'd be on the TV show. It was and it was like a, it was like the Howard Stern meets you know like I don't know uh, whatever. It was it was just a wacky show. You never know who's going to show up, but there was always it was always bodybuilding related, and that's what people love. People are like holy shit, they got bodybuilders in the studio posing, and the girls and guys, and it was insanity. And then I started getting sponsors, you know, for the show, and people would come in and. And it was and it, it worked. It was paying for itself. And I'm like, and I and I said, you know what? It's not where it needs to be. And I said, but eventually it will be. Over the years, it just kept evolving and the technology got better. And we got a TV box and it became more professional. And then I started, you can use Skype now to bring, you know, people in. So you didn't have to fly people in or wait for them to be in town. I can now have people on the show who are remote, you know, in another country if I wanted to. I created an original TV programming, and then YouTube came around, and I, I was still hosting all the, the videos when YouTube was on. I should have gone to YouTube right away because I didn't want people going to YouTube and not my my website because I was selling advertising on the website like a lot. Like in 2012, we were we were bringing in fifty five thousand dollars a month in advertising. I mean, it was crazy. But then the supplement market crashed, so I lost a lot of the advertisers. And I was I was covering every bodybuilding show basically. I mean, we were traveling every weekend. I had photographers uh, on the other and other other coasts covering shows because I was bringing in so much money. I'm like, fuck, it, we're going to cover everything. We're going to be number one in contest coverage, and we were. We were beating Muscle Development. We beat everyone. And then NBC News decided they were going to you know start doing contest coverage. And I said, you know what? I don't want to compete with them. I'm not going to beat them because they're the NPC. Right. I said, plus I got bored of it. I got tired of it. I get burnt out on it. I said, I don't, I think we're doing all this work. And I don't think it's really given the return. I really want to focus on TV programming. So I recreated RX muscle all over again because I had it because I wasn't bringing in the money and we bring in, I wasn't making 55 grand. I couldn't just be throwing money at every person to, to work for us. So I had a downsize, you know, and I had to really consolidate and we focused on in-house TV programs. That's when we came out with Iron Debate and Iron Rage and, and you know, Live with you know, Interview Show and Ask Dave, which is probably one of our most popular shows. So, and we created a whole lineup of TV programming. So it took me, you
0: know whatever, it took me 10 years. So the timing was key. When you look at other people in business, not just in this industry, but other industries, do you think timing plays a big role in someone's success? absolutely absolutely. you know some people want to I'm the kind of guy that wants to be first I want to do it
1: first I want to because I'm a creative guy other people like, like Steve Blackman to give you an example he's always like ah, we, first is not important just do it better you know that's like he, he likes to watch other people and then say alright what do they do and let's just let's copy them you know and just try to do a little better than them and, and that's, that's boring to me I like to be the guy on the, on the, on the forefront you know of doing it for the first time and, you know, I've been I did a radio show before anyone did a radio show. You know, the only person who did one before me was Dan Solomon, you know, and then, you know, we did ours and we out. You know, I, I, I've been doing a radio show consistently since 06, never missed a weekend.
0: And I can tell you how impressive that is, because going on two months or whatever it's been of this last Sunday was the first missing releasing an episode on time. And again, you popped into my head, and I was like, how the hell does Zave do this? Like, that's where I think you find people that have that talent, where they can make it look effortless. And that leads me to the question of, with so many people that have, I don't want to say stolen from you, but copied ideas very closely to you, are you flattered by this, or... Do you feel the need to ever point it out or kind of bust their chops that they're trying to do your show or do you just say nothing?
1: You know, no, because it's flattery. It's, 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 it's like not wanting to give information out because you think, well, all right, if I give information out, people are going to take that information and then they're going to use it. And so they stole from me. Well, that's great. Let, I want to. Pay, I teach a course called the Secrets Becoming a Diet Guru Course. It, I'm teaching people all my secrets. I'm giving them a book, a hundred page manual with every every protocol I ever developed in there. Why? Because I, I wanted to take it and make it their own. There's, there's plenty of business out there. I'm not I'm not losing any business. There's plenty of people to, to coach. There's plenty of people to entertain. You can't worry about what other people do. And believe me, you know what? I, like I said, I breed snakes. I breed reptiles. And I watch some of these other YouTube channels, these guys showing off some of the snakes they produced. I'm like, damn, I'm like, I'm so jealous, Man, why did, couldn't I make that first? Or why didn't I, you know? And I have to stop myself and I have to say, don't worry about it. Do your thing the best that you can do. You can't control other people. You can control yourself. Worry about yourself. Do the best that you can do, okay? Given what you're putting in. And if you're not putting in enough time and you know you, you you're slacking, and spend more time on your, don't worry about what other people are doing and trying to stop them. That's the stupidest thing. You can't, only thing you, you know, we, our thoughts create a reality. They don't affect other people's. If you're consumed with what another person is doing, then you're not going to be able to create what you need to create. Because you're too worried about the negativity of what's going on with them. You know, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't affect your stream of of, of what you're doing, and I think that's, that's where a lot of people get caught up. They're so worried about stopping other people from doing something. Like when they used to deny me press passes at shows, I'm like, I used to tell them, you know, I'm not going to mention names. I said to this promoter once, I said, "You're not going to give me a press pass." This one guy wanted he wanted to charge me for press passes. I said, "I'm going to go on my TV show, and I'm going to tell people that you're trying to charge me for press passes." And I'm going to get more publicity from that than if I had gone to your show and covered your show, and I didn't. And it blew up, and they and they and people called me up. They're like, "Oh, what, what's going on?" I said, "Well," they said, "What kind of crap is it? It's charging for press passes." Oh, well, you should have called me. I don't. know. I think there was a mistake, you know. And then they try to, f- f-. So, <laughs> you know, you can't stop people. The second you try to stop people, it's like trying to stop a revolution. You you, you give life to the revolution when you do that. You know, do what you got to do worry about yourself. That's the best advice I can give you. And you know what? It, it removes a huge layer of stress and anxiety in your life too, if you do that, because stress and anxiety are not real. There's no such thing as a bucket of, of if, if you can fill up a bucket of anxiety, then it would be real. But if you can't, and you can, then it's not real. So you're just making up this anxiety in your head because you're, you're allowing other people's actions to, to negatively affect you when it doesn't, they have nothing to do with you,
0: you know, essentially like Jim Rohn famously said, don't ask for something to be easier, ask for yourself to work harder to achieve those things. And I think you're right. But see, like I look at someone like you and maybe you've reached a different point earlier on in your life. But I remember that back in the late nineties, you were talking about the keto diet, And now keto is the rage and people are talking keto and uh, Weight Watchers is doing keto. And I think back to like when you did my diet for the AAU collegiate nationals, teenage nationals, and I was eating a keto diet in the late 90s. People are like, oh, so Atkins. And I say, no, it's not Atkins. It's a low carb. And at any point, or do you feel anything or at any point, did you feel something to where your ego kind of stepped in to where you wanted people to know that was me who created that or that was me who was the first to market with an online TV show. I've done many a rant
1: and, and, and educational videos on on my ketogenic diet because it's Atkins kind of was the first guy to popularize. He basically just said, don't eat any carbs, you know, and people ate a ton of fat and fast saturated fats and poor quality protein. I took his his approach and I basically said, and we all steal from each other and change things around so that's 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 human nature but I said look I like the concept of, of putting the brain into ketosis which is you know using fats as a fuel source and I like the the because I like the fact that it primes the hormonal systems to have low insulin high growth hormone but I also realized that bodybuilders who break down a lot of muscle in the gym need a lot of protein so my version of the ketogenic diet was a high protein it still is Moderate fat, but coming from a good variety of fats—essential fatty acids, monounsaturated fats—a little bit of saturated fat, but not like bacon for every and, and butter for every you know source of fat. And then obviously very low carb, and then obviously having a cheat meal once a week. That was the diet from going back to when I gave it to you. It's still the same diet to this day. Okay, maybe a little more well defined, you know, in certain areas, but the ketogenic diet craze now is, is, is it'll probably come and go because it's a, it's more of a fad and what they're doing is they're advocating a medical ketogenic diet which is what they give to people who have like seizure disorders or cancer it's a high fat moderate protein low carb diet for bodybuilders it's a disaster Okay, because bodybuilders need protein. Now they tell you, oh, you can't have high protein on a ketogenic diet because it's going to turn to carbs and it's going to it's going to kick you out of ketosis. Well, that's not the truth because athletes who break down a lot of muscle have a higher protein requirement. It goes back to the whole stupidity of the American Heart Association and Dietetics Association saying that we don't need a lot of protein in our diet and athletes don't need more than regular people. It's ludicrous. If you're breaking down muscle tissue, skeletal muscle, you need extra protein to repair it. It's just it's logical. It's so it's so logical, it's it's ridiculous. It's so apparent. So to give you a little celebrity angle, because I'm sure your listeners will like this, so Stone Cold Steve Austin, the wrestler. He contacts me, he gets my contact from Triple H because Triple H and the McMahon family use me for dieting and stuff like that. And so he heard that I had Triple H on a, on a ketogenic diet. He calls me. He's like, hey, Dave, let's don't call Steve Austin here. He sounds exactly like his wrestling persona and his real persona are exactly the same. OK, he's no different. And I say, hey, what's up, Stone Cold? Yeah, you know, I've been uh, hearing a lot about this ketogenic diet you're doing. You know, he goes, I'm doing a ketogenic diet right now. I'm trying to get in shape. My TV show ain't working. So I'm like, well, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm doing, you know, he's telling me how much all this, you know, bacon and, and cream, heavy cream. And he's eating like almost no protein. I'm like, I said, Stone Cold, you're eating no protein. He's well, you know, and he did a lot of research. He was very well versed on, he was not just some bum from the street. He was, he's a smart dude. He's like, I read all these books and all this, and you you can't have this above this amount of protein. And because if you do, you're going to be out of ketosis, it's not going to work. I said, Steve, I said, you train like a bodybuilder. I said, you're 250. I said, you're eating like a hundred grams of protein a day. I said, what do you think? So he was very reticent to try, but he hired me and he said, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. So I worked with him for eight weeks. He gained muscle and lost fat. It was unbelievable. He couldn't believe it. He's like, I I can't believe how my body's changing just from upping my protein and lowering my fats and eating the right kind of fats. And he did say to me, he goes, you know, I like my whiskey at night. (laughs) I said, Steve, can you can you not drink whiskey for eight weeks until the TV shows over? He said, Yeah, yeah, no problem. I, I just want to be honest with you. I do like my whiskey. I said, That's fine. No whiskey until after the thing. So he didn't do it whiskey. So we got him in shape, and it was it was amazing. And I actually did. He has he has his own podcast too, and I actually did his podcast. And he it was if people ever want to listen to a really good podcast and you want to learn about the ketogenic diet, he asked me a lot of really really specific science questions based on that diet. It was really good. Good interview if you guys want to go back and check it out. But, you know, so he understood, he got it. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, you know, you can't do a medical ketogenic diet if you're a bodybuilder or you're a high intensity athlete, you know, it's not going to work. So I've been doing constantly correcting people. People don't even know what the word ketone, what a ketogenic diet means. They think it's like some kind of special food you're eating. They think it's about creating ketones in your blood. All ketogenic means is, and this is this is the whole premise of the diet is that your brain is not using glucose, carbs as a fuel source; it's using fat, ketones. That's it. That's all it means. If you're a bodybuilder and you're training hardcore and you're breaking down muscle, okay, and you're eating a high protein, you know, moderate fat diet, you're going to be in ketosis as long as you don't eat carbs. It's that simple. Now, if you're if you're Mrs. Jones who does nothing all day long, sits on the couch, you know, watches. TV and she's overweight and she does a the date palumbo ketogenic diet which is high protein moderate fat she might have a problem losing weight because she doesn't need all that protein she's not she's not doing anything to break down muscle she does need some protein because she her body is in this constant state of turnover skin nails hair you know internal organ linings and all that stuff needs to be replaced but she doesn't have the demand of a, of a high protein diet because she's not repairing skeletal muscle on a daily basis so I see it. It's a fad. People are selling ketones. They're like, oh, if you take these ketones, you'll be in ketosis. No, you won't. No, you won't. (laughs) You'll put ketones into your bloodstream and you might be able to detect them on a little dipstick, but you're certainly not going to be in ketosis because if you're eating carbs, your brain is going to use carbs as a fuel source. The ketogenic diet is hot right now. But the funny thing is I don't even put everyone on a ketogenic diet. It depends on the person. It depends on, you know, what, what, you know, what I feel. Most women I put on it, women do very well in it. And they, they, they're really, they do, you know, they like the way they feel on it because they're not bloated. But I'm honored. I'm, I'm, you know what, to me, Tim Ferriss wrote a book, The 4-Hour Body. I don't know if you read the book. In the book, he quoted me like four times about my ketogenic diet. So he immortalized me already in that book. He gave me the credit because that book was a was a bestseller, you know, for, I don't know, it might still be a bestseller for all. Know. And like I said, I'm not, I don't need credit. I, everyone knows that I'm the ketogenic diet guy and, you know, that's fine. But, you know, it's all about, it's about providing information is really what it's about. And I think that as long as, you know, people are getting good information out there, whether it's coming from you or another person advocating the ketogenic diet, I have guys that, 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 don't even rewrite my diet. They just take the same thing that I sent them and they copy and paste it and they give it to athletes. And the reason I know this is because these people come to me, and they say, here's the diet I'm following. What do you think of this? <laughs> it's my diet. It's in the same, same format that I, that I sent to the other person. And that's fine because you know what, if it works for the people and they're making it their own and they're
0: adding little tweaks to it, I'm, I'm flattered. You own a supplement company. You have the heavy muscle radio. You have the TV show. You prep clients and people, not just for weight loss, for performance, for wrestling. So we'll go with the nutrition area. You teach a seminar in which people will come to you in Florida. Now you're going online with that. So you're teaching that. Of everything you do, what would you say is the most rewarding to you that you feel is something that you? take the most pride or put the most of yourself into in the bodybuilding and health
1: realm i would say solving people's problems because i think you know i'm one of these people that i always had the weirdest things happening to me and when i say weird i mean like when i was a, when i was in high school and, in, and going to college when i would run more than four miles a day because i was a runner i would get groin strains like tendonitis in my groin to the point where i after a while, I, just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't run anymore. I had to stop. And I went to every specialist. They sent me to the University of Pennsylvania because I was in college in, in, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They sent me to, to the University of Pennsylvania. And they did a, they, to the number one orthopedic guy in, in like the region, all the professional athletes use. This guy ran bone scans on me. They couldn't fucking figure out what was wrong with me. Okay, this is 1988 or something like that. Someone, I come back to, to East Meadow, which is where I grew up in East Meadow, and I, I went to my high school, and I was running, doing the little running, you know, on my spring, on my I think it was my um, Christmas break with one of the running coaches, and we're running, and I'm telling him I have this terrible pain in my groin, and he's like, you know, some some young podiatrist MD did a seminar at the at the high school you know, about six months ago, and he he left his card and he said, you know, he's into Hey, why don't you give him a call? He said, what is he going to do for me? I don't know. He was talking about like, I don't know, stuff for your feet and stuff like that. And the right, he might be some, yeah, look, he goes, you got, you, you went to everyone else. You don't have any solutions. Like so I said, fine. We made an appointment. My dad took me to this guy's office. He was in, ironically, you want to hear something? You talk about irony. He was right in Seaford, Seaford Foot Clinic, the block he's on, right on Merrick Road and, and, and Neptune, it's called. I actually wound up moving, down that road i live there in Seaford. like down that road i have to pass i pass that clinic every single day Ironically, so my dad drives me to the guy looks at me puts hooks up all these electrodes to my feet he makes me run and he's like you have no arch in your feet you're you're pronating you're you're creating stresses in, in certain areas of your body that are not meant to be stressed and that's what you get and i thought he was out of his fucking mind he's like, i'm gonna fit you for these orthotics these things that these these are new these are new they're not they're not the old leather ones your your, your grandparents wore. these are like sports performance you know stuff they're going to perfect your gait and I, i'm going to speed the story up so I, I put him in i think he's crazy after six months of wearing him, all my pain's gone i become a great long distance runner in college so i come back after college is over i'm bodybuilding now i take the ortho I don't wear the orthotic. What do I need the orthotic? I'm not running anymore, right? I, I wean myself off running. I'm in the gym squatting one day, and boom, I, I throw my back out. I, have to, I go to the chiropractor, I work through it. It takes me six weeks to get back. I build up weight again, it happens again. I'm like, what the freak's going on? I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, I didn't move, I didn't just back going out on me. I'm like, you know what? I sat down I really thought hard about it at this point. I'm like, I wonder if the fact that you know, those orthotics that guy made me for my running? I wonder if I need to wear them when I'm squatting. my He said my feet were off. Start wearing them, pain goes away, never have another problem. So, what do I do? All these people, and I noticed that my leg development is much better when I put those things in my foot feet. And I realized, you know what? Your feet are your base of, you know, they're the, they're the, the foundation of everything that you do. So, if you're trying to squat and build your legs and your feet are off a millimeter, you're not going to build the muscle properly and balance. And so people start coming to me and saying, you know, I, they have bad leg development. They have this, that. I said, you know what? Go get a pair of orthotics made. And people start solving people's leg problems. All of a sudden, they have knee pain goes away, back pain goes away. When they squat, you know, everyone, you always hear these people, I can't squat. I get knee pain. Go get orthotics. I'm telling everyone. And I, then I realized something. I said, you know what? The reason this happened to me is this because I am an information provider. And how the hell am I going to provide information if I don't have the information to provide? So I have every little weird, stupid thing happen to me so that I can tell other people how to avoid or solve these problems. I'm a problem solver. That's what I do. You said it yourself. Dave he's just, he solves people's problems. And I enjoy doing that. That's the I get I really gain the most pleasure out of that, whether I make money from it or not. I like to solve people's problems. I don't know what it is. I just, I feel good about myself when I, when I can give people a solution to something that's been really irking or bothering them for a long time or, or nagging at them or just, and it doesn't have to be health wise. It could be just the way you, you approach your business or your relationships. I'm just a good, I, and it's because you you can't be a good
0: information provider and problem solver unless you've had a lot of problems yourself. <laughs> so, so. Okay, so my final question right off that is: later in life, you became a father. You have three kids sure. now. How has that dramatically changed your outlook on life, on business, on your future? I was the most selfish person. My wife would still say I'm selfish, but I don't think I'm that selfish. Anymore. But
1: bodybuilding is a very selfish sport, you know. And I was I had no really. I mean, I just, it's about, it was about me. You know, I had to be the best that I can be. And when you have kids, you don't care about you anymore. You is not that important. It's them. They're the most important things. Granted, I still want to do things that, that give me pleasure, obviously, because that's what, that's what keeps you alive, right? The passion and, and enjoying life. But they're the most important thing now for me. So like them having pleasure or them like laughing or me bringing home something that makes them like, oh, daddy brought me a toy or whatever. That to me is the most important thing, you know. And, and I would—I know people say this, and it sounds so so contrived, but I would literally walk in front of a bus to save my kid's life, you know. That whereas before I would never do that, you know, for anyone, <laughs> so, because I, I'm like, well, you know, I want to help this person. But I'm not willing to like step in front of a bus for them, you know, that kind of thing. But for your kids, you do that. It's it's a, it's a different it's a different mindset. So everything you do is really to them, and and you know. I'm glad I had them later in life, though, because I because I don't think I could have achieved what I would have achieved if, with them. I, I really take my hat off to people like who have young kids and their bodybuilding and, and doing it at the same time. It, it's it's tough. I, I you know I, I have the the luxury of having money in the bank. I make a good living for myself. My kids can I can provide them anything that they possibly want. You know, I don't have to worry about going to you know work. I'm I, I'm my own boss. And I don't have to worry about selfishly going to the gym. If I want to miss the gym, I miss the gym. I, I hardly ever go to the gym. I, I train at my house. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. As long as I feel healthy and I eat good and stuff like that and my mind is, is, is good, then that, that's the most important thing. And it's, it's a huge, a huge paradigm shift, you know, to, to do that. And, you know, because here I went from being the most selfish, self-absorbed person, okay. To not caring really anymore about myself in terms of like, you know, what all right, good. You know, as long as, as long as I'm there for my kids, I got to make sure that I'm around to, to, to be an influence, for my children. But you know what, if I don't miss the gym, if I miss the gym today, if I don't work out, not a big deal. If I miss three meals because we're doing stuff with the kids, it's not a big deal. I would never, I couldn't, I would never do that. You know, so, but I was in the right place. It was the right time. I met the right, the right person is very
0: important also. So Dave, this is probably something you haven't thought about before, or maybe you have, but I'm very curious about it. Losing your mother at 14 years old, does that ever cross your mind, having kids late in life? Like, what if you weren't around for them at that earlier age? Is that something that you think about, worry about, or? I'll tell you, one of the things that sticks out in my head is the day
1: that I, I, I stopped going to medical school. I really took a year off, but I knew in the back of my head I was not going back. I said to myself, I wasn't sleeping. You don't sleep in medical school. This, In the third year when you start working in rotations in hospitals, I think your dad is a doctor, right? Same thing. He had to go through this. Every third day you go on, you're on call in medical school, in the hospital. So you basically go from work, being there the whole day. You don't go home. Okay and you stay there basically you go you get out an hour you stay there overnight and then you work the next day you you do the whole day and then you go home you shot you can't you can't do anything your your body is in disarray i needed a lot of sleep i was a very good student and i was very smart but when i didn't sleep it changed my personality and i felt terrible and i felt like i was going to die and i said you know what i believe cancer is due to you know not sleeping not being happy with what you're doing I, I can't do this. I'm not I refused. I refused to graduate med school and then die of cancer. I'm not going to do it. Not going to happen. I said, I don't give a shit. If I fucking have to work at McDonald's. Sorry about the language. But I'm sorry. I don't have to work at McDonald's. I won't work at McDonald's. I'll work at McDonald's. I'm not, I am not going to die young. It's not going to happen to me. My mother was unhappy with things that I think that's what caused her. cancer. I, I was convinced of, I'm convinced that cancer, even though it's a genetic component and everyone in my, my mother's side of the family had cancer. I said, I'm not going to get cancer. I said, you know why I'm not going to get cancer? Because I'm not going to allow myself to get cancer. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to keep my body healthy. I'm going to sleep. And you know what? I'm going to do things that make me happy. Okay? Because that is the, I think that whether you have genetic prop- propensity to have cancer or not, the, the stimulus to turn on those cancer cells is, is, is emotions. And if your emotions are not good, you have negative emotions, that is going to make you more likely to get cancer. I believe it. I'm hundred percent believe that's why we can't cure cancer because it's not a, it's not a physical problem. It's an emotional problem. And so we all have cancer cells in our body all the time. And some people get cancer from it. And some people's bodies immune system, meet them up. And why is that? It's, it's emotions. Okay. So I said, I'm an, I'm an emotional cripple, but I do know one thing. I'm not going to allow this. So, so I made a very clear in my head that that was going to happen. So I, 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 won't, I will not die of cancer. And so I'm already past what my mother was. You know, my mother died at 42. I'm, I'm 52. I'm not worried about dying of cancer. I'm not going to get cancer. I, I refuse to allow it into my life. It's not going to happen. I might die of something else. I might be go senile. I might, <laughs> I'm hoping I just wake, don't wake up one day. That That's how I really want to go. I don't want to, I don't want to need like terrible accidents or anything like that, or, you know, I don't want to have a heart attack or anything like that. I just, 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 if I do just, die. I don't want to wake up. That's how I want to end it. But I think, I think as my dad used to say, my dad used to say, you know, what? I'm, I'm destined to suffer on this world for a long time. I think I'm destined to be, <laughs> be here and, and suffer for a long time. <laughs> uh, in this more, on this mortal club. because I think what we all really don't realize is that once we, we pass over into the next you know, spiritual realm, it's probably way, way better than it is here we're so in love with our, with our little movie role that we're playing. I, I call it a movie role What we're playing in life here that we just don't want to leave it. You know, we don't want the movie to, to turn off yet. We're not ready. You know you know, it, you, you know when you're ready, though. You ever noticed? you ever see these people that just all of a sudden die and they're like 40 years old and you're like, you know what? That, he really wasn't doing anything. He kind of hit a point in his life. He kind of was stagnant and he was not really, he wasn't happy. He wanted to continue bodybuilding, but he really was past his prime and he wasn't doing anything else. I think that when you're done you're done. You know how, like I say, when, when I'm done with something, I move on to the next thing. I think that's the way life is. I think when you're, when you're emotionally and your, your passions are just done with, with what you're doing, you don't have anything else to look forward to. There's nothing else that's really turning you on anymore. I think you kind of move on to another realm. You, you, your spirit passes into the next realm and maybe you get reincarnated. I don't know what happens. I wish I knew what happens, but I don't, but I think that that's it. You know, you transition. And your body finds a way to, you know, to to die, basically, whether it's being get hit by a car or having a heart attack or whatever happens, you know, whatever your method of of leaving this mortal coil is.
0: Well, Dave, let me leave it at that. But I want to just thank you so much, not just for your time tonight. And here we are recording at 137 a.m. because this is when the kids go down. And whenever I can get you on, I said, that's fine. I'll drop everything or not sleep. I want to get you on because. I really wanted to thank you for offering me so much direction. You said that you like to help solve people's problems. You helped me at a point in my life where there was a crossroads finding out what I wanted to do, what I wanted to pursue, and even with all the business ventures and things I'm involved with now, I've definitely looked to you as a roadmap, and I'm hoping that we can stay in contact now and see the next great things that you will be overcoming and challenges you'll be facing. But I know that you will do it successfully, and I know you will prevail. I want to just say one thing before you, you, you we get off this. Yeah. Even I know I told you I wanted didn't
1: want to go this long, but I, I when I get into a show, I get a show. When you told me or before the show started that you wrote a kids book just to see if you can do it. I love that. I think that that is a, 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 a the creativity aspect of that. You're not even a, a, a you're not a children's book writer, but you said you know what I'm going to write a kids book. I can write a better kids book than what's out there. I love that. That's the kind of stuff that I do. And sometimes, you know, you have to challenge yourself like like that because that's what keeps you interested and in, 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 in keeps your, your creative mind working and prevents you from getting bored. So you wrote, who knows, you might 10 years from now, you might go back and write five more kids books. I don't know. You don't know. But that's, I think people are afraid to do stuff like that. They're like, well, I, I can't write a kid's book. Why not? You could do anything you want if you put your mind to it. You know, people sitting around picking their nose during this COVID crisis, do something creative. Do something that you you didn't think you could do. That's, that's my, my advice to people out there. People solve people's problems. If you're depressed out there and you don't know what to do and cause you, you can't go out and hang out with your friends and do all this, do something creative that you didn't think you could ever do. Get out of, learn to draw or write a kid's book, or start your own YouTube channel. I tell people that, you know what, sometimes don't make this a negative, this, this COVID thing. Maybe it's, it's in your life, for all you listeners, it's a, it's a temporary pause that you're taking to reevaluate your life and then take it in another direction. It's giving you the ability to do that because if, 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 if this pause didn't happen, you would just keep going with what you were doing. So I think a lot of people should use this in in a constructive way rather than looking at it as a negative. Oh, I can't wait till I go back to the gym and my life starts. Life is never going to be the same, guys. It's going to change. Okay, but you can go and make this a positive, you know, in, in your life if you find the positive in what you're doing. Find what you love to do. What are you passionate about, whether it be video games or planting gardens outside? Do something with it. Start a YouTube channel about it and talk about it a lot and you know what niche youtube channels are in and you can monetize those and you can make money for yourself and become an entrepreneur doing something that you never thought a million years would make you money and that's we live in a great world i think a lot of people think it's a negative terrible world but we live in a good time where we can actually you could be your own boss and you can do what you love and you can get paid for it And if you could do that you'll never work a day in your life you'll be like dave blumper you'll never have a real job
0: For more info, visit getconnects.com. That's G-E-T dot xcom or visit us on facebook at connects comma, i-n-c or on instagram at connects underscore and a special thanks to our sponsor don pablo all their coffee is roasted in small batches providing the freshest tasting coffee imaginable simply put it's a better cup of coffee order on amazon or at donpablocoffee.com